And so I'm going to share this morning and try to finish up my part of this series that we're teaching. And it is a carryover from the series we started. And it really is a carryover from what the Lord said to me back in June. And one of the things I read it this morning, but one of the things he said is he said he's going to heal our souls. And I believe that in order for your eyes to be open, I believe your soul has to be healed. Um, most of you know I'm involved in education on some level, um, not directly in the classroom, but working with administrators. And one of the big things that's been going on around the country this year is we've been talking to educators about the impact of trauma on kids. But the truth of the matter is kids who don't deal with trauma just become adults who don't deal with trauma. So you're not just talking about kids, we're talking about adults too. And people who have trauma aren't always able to see things clearly because your body is designed to survive. And so because your body is designed to survive, if you have trauma in your soul, everything that you interact with, you are trying to defend yourself against it. And it's a whole lot of church hurt. It's a whole lot of folk being hurt by people in the church. It's a whole lot of folk being hurt by the teaching of the church. And it's a whole lot of people who've been hurt because they just didn't have understanding of what was being taught. It ain't always the church's fault, but it doesn't matter how church, it doesn't matter how hurt gets there, hurt is hurt, amen? And so I think it's important that when we read that prophecy that God gave us in June, and he says, I want to heal your, he says, I want to heal your soul. He says it after he says that he's going to open up our eyes of understanding. And so we've been really going through, I guess, the last six or seven weeks. I didn't even see it this way, but God really has been working on our soul. He's been working on our mind, our will, our emotions, our imagination, and even our intellect regarding this issue of how we see ourselves and how we think we have to perform to get God to move. But tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, God did what he did before we ever did a thing. That's what I've been thinking about all week long. Everything God did for us, he actually did it for us before we ever did anything. And so if he did it for us before we did anything, then why do we still try to perform to get God to move? And so we started talking about living beyond the mechanics of faith. And we went through that entire series. And then last week, we started our new series entitled Embracing Grace and leaving the law behind. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I am embracing grace. Say, I am leaving the law behind. And the reason it's so important to leave the law behind is because we went through a litany of reasons, but we settled on four of them of why we should leave the law behind. And we started our last series and even this series by saying that in, when, we are, when we place ourselves in this self-performance mode, we end up placing ourselves back under the law. And we said that the law of Moses always locks us into this continual self-effort model. In other words, we lock ourselves into this thing where we have to be good enough for God. The problem is, no matter how good you are, you will never be good enough. Under the law, it says that if you were to break just one of them, that you were guilty of breaking all of them. And so the Bible says that for this reason, Jesus was manifest. What was the reason? So that we didn't have to try to live a perfect life. 
Not that we just be out here living raggedy, but so that if we make a mistake, we know in our minds and in our hearts it doesn't cancel out what God wants to do in our life. And so the Bible says that grace is what frees us from the law. This word grace, Jesus is the epitome of grace. Grace is God's willingness to get involved in our life. And how many of you know that when we were born, we were born into sin? We needed somebody to get involved in our life. And that if Jesus had not gotten involved in our life, you and I on this day would still be looking for a dove, a bullock, or something, a ram, to try to sacrifice in order to atone us until we could come back here again next week. But God... But God, he sent Jesus to die for us so that now where sin did abound, grace does now much more abound. Amen. And so we decided on these four things that was the issue with living under the law. Number one, we said that relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law and that Jesus has already rescued us from that. We said that it is the finished works of Jesus performed on the cross and not our own perfect work that positions us to receive God's blessings. Then we said that Jesus is getting, giving of his body and his blood is what removed the curse from our life. Tell your neighbor, say, we don't live under a curse. And that's the reason I don't even, you don't hear us say that. You know, uh, there was a time in my life I believed it, but when you know better, you know better. But we used to always, you know, the, the church used to tell people if they didn't do this, they were going to be cursed. And people love to use that scripture that says you were, you were cursed with a curse. But here's the reality. You can't curse what God's already blessed. Ooh. Somebody say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Then if you're a blessed, who, who going to curse you? If you've been blessed by the, by the most blessed, who's going to curse you? And so the reality of it is, is it frees us from this idea and this fear that somehow we're going to do something wrong and God's going to reject us. Tell your neighbor, say, God, God will never reject me. Never and then number four, we say anytime we move away from grace it, the, and toward trusting our own self-effort, we'll realize that in the end, we're going to end up looking crazy. Last week, I gave you a couple of points, and then we stopped, and I'll finish this up today. But we said that under the law, God's blessings always depended on performance. Under the law, God's blessing always depended on our performance. It was, I know this word's been in the news a lot, but under the old covenant, it was quid pro quo. No, I know what it's been on the news and we've been talking about Trump and all that, but, but under the old covenant, it was quid pro quo. It said, if you do this, then I will do this. If you investigate, I will release. If you are willing, I'll miss that. He says, if you do a certain thing, then I'll do it for you. And that was the covenant in which they lived under. And as long as they kept their end, then God kept his end. But the problem was, is there were times they couldn't keep their end. So because they couldn't keep their end, then under the covenant agreement, God didn't have to keep his. God said, let's flip the script. He said, here what's going to happen in the new covenant. In the new covenant, whether it be in queer pro quo, where you have to do something and then I do something, how about this? I'm going to do my part first. And then as long as I do my part, just know you qualified to get what I already did. And in fact, he says it like this in one part of the Bible. He says, as long as there is day and night. He says, as long as the sun comes up in the morning and the moon comes up at night, he said, rest assured, my covenant with you has not ended. 
So it doesn't matter if it's cloudy or not. The fact of the matter is, in the daytime, we can still see the sun. Amen? So as long as the sun keeps coming up, God has done his part. And since God has done his part, tell your neighbor, say, I still qualify. And then we said that under the law, the law was always conditional. But we don't live under a conditional basis with God anymore. Last week, we said that under the old covenant, everything that happened in our lives was based on what we did. We also said that because of that, in religion, and it doesn't matter what denomination you're really talking about, it was established this idea of do good, get good, but do bad, get bad. And because we created this system in religion and this mentality of performance-based Christianity, we have lived our lives much like the rich young ruler. If you remember last week, we talked about the rich young ruler. When he came to Jesus, he says, Master, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus began to tell him all the things he had to do. And he says, yo, I've done all of those things. In fact, I've done them since I've been young. And Jesus said, yeah, but it's one thing you lack. He says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. The Bible says that the young ruler went away sad because he had great possessions. See, he was tied to his possessions because his performance had gotten him the possessions. If you allow your performance alone to get you the possessions, if God ever asks you for them, you won't release them. And the scariest situation to ever be in is for God to ask you for something and you'd be more tied to it than to God. Performance says it don't matter how hard I work to get it. If God wants it, he can have it because he's able to give me more than I ever had to begin with. But you got to get outside of this thing called performance. We also said last week that good works don't justify us, that we aren't justified by our good works, that there are people who do a lot of really good things. There are people who do good things in the church. There are people who volunteer all the time. There are people who are always willing to help when someone needs it. And that's great, but that doesn't make you righteous. Amen? The Bible says in Galatians 5 and 4, it says, Christ is become of no effect unto us, whosoever of you are justified by the law. He says, if you are justified by the law, then you have fallen from grace. You can't live by them both. You can't live by law and live by grace. You got to pick one. You either got to decide that you're going to keep all of them right all the time and never miss it, or you better come on over here to grace and say, if I miss it, God still got me. If you don't know which one to pick, let me help you. Grace. You know, the Bible says, choose you this day which God you're going to serve. And then, Jesus, and then God says, and in case you're too slow to pick right, choose God. In case you don't know which one to pick because you think you've been so good, let me help you pick grace. Because at some point in your life, you're going to need it. Because you've already needed it. When did you need it? When you were born? Because you were born into sin. You needed grace to save you. Amen? Then we said under grace, God's blessings depend on our belief, not our performance. The grace of God comes through belief and not through performance. And then we read that whole thing in Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. I won't read all that. But basically, just know that what you believe determines much more what's going to happen in your life than what you do. I'll say that again. What you believe is going to so much more be the determining factor than what you do. Now, here's what I'll tell you. I can tell what you believe, though, by what you do. Now, now, now what's going to impact your life is going to be your belief. 
but I can tell what you believe based on what you do. If you believe that higher education is a pathway to your dream, I will see you enrolled in school. If you believe that healthy living is the pathway to happiness, I will see you on a path toward healthy living, whatever that is for you. But I will not see this. I will not see you say, I believe that I am supposed to lose, to lose weight, but then see you eating ding-dongs every day. Because if you eat ding-dongs every day, what you really believe is that ding-dongs are the pathway to life, not healthy living. I don't care what you say. So what we've got to learn to do is to match up what we do with what we say. Because when we begin to match up what we do with what we say, and what we say is what we believe, and if we start to believe God, then everything we do will begin to produce, but not because we do it, but because we believe. And that is what, that, that's the, the, the thing that God's trying to heal in our soul, to get us to this place of learning how to believe and trust in him. We read that scripture last week that talked about dead works, and we kind of ended there last week, and I wanted to revisit that because... Someone even, someone even asked me on this week, they say, I get confused when you talk about performance because it sounds like you're saying don't do anything. I'm saying don't do any dead things. Well, what do we mean? If God says to you, I want you to get up at 6 o'clock, I know it's going to sound silly, and I want you to walk around your bed three times and then go back to sleep. And if you do it, I'm going to bless you. Now, if you did that because God told you to, that's not a dead work. But if you go, whoa, God bless Eugene. He got up and he got up at six o'clock and walked around the bed three times and God bless. I'm going to do that too. You just going to be sleepy. Because it's going to be a dead work to you because it didn't come from a word. That's why you can't be looking at other people's life and trying to determine what you're going to do to get what they got. Do you know how stupid they would have looked if everybody... You only see that recorded in the Bible. He told a group of people to do it. And actually what he told them, he said, walk around the wall one time each day. Not seven times a day, one day, one time a day. He said, then on that last time, walk around it seven times. He said, and when you walk around it, let out a voice. At any point, they don't follow that, that work becomes dead. So when I say to you, that it's not about performance. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything. I'm saying you shouldn't do your own thing. Amen. I'm saying you ought to ask God, how do you want me to move in this particular instance? What do you want me to do so that I can do the thing that lines up with what I already believe you said? So then we see our faith becomes more important than our doing. Because if we believe right, then we will do right. If we believe right, we will do right. What does believing right mean? Believing right means God's already taking care of this. Anything I'm doing, I am just doing to walk out the path because that's where he has placed me to get the thing I've already received in my spirit. And it's so important to do that. And, 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 and that's the reason, you know, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with church growth conferences. I told a friend of mine that the other day. I do not have a problem with them. I think you can gain a lot of valuable information. But let me tell you something. If you live in a city with 10,000 people, 
Your marketing cannot be the same as someone who lives in a city with six million people. Six mi- uh, 10,000 people will trip over you in a city of six million. So, so, so what happens is people go to these conferences and they see other people's strategies and other people, and they come back and they try to implement them and they go, well, it didn't work. But that ain't what God told you. You know, we live in Northwest Arkansas. We might can go knock on some doors. But if you live in the eighth ward of Houston, you better be careful about who doors you're knocking on. Because environment means something different. So, so we got to be careful, even as believers here together, that what I see Tanya doing doesn't just become the same thing I'm doing just because she's getting results. I got to find out what I'm supposed to do. On my personal journey, I hear lots of things that people say they do to lose weight, to build muscle, to do this, to do that. I don't discount any of it. But if it ain't what God told me to do in this season of my life, I'm not doing it. Because then people get frustrated. I tell people all the time, if you pay money and you go see Jimmy, you shouldn't be listening to no other health coaches. How you going to listen to him and listen to her and listen to them and listen to them and listen to them and then talk about it don't work? It don't work because it's hodgepodge. So how I'm going to listen to God? How I'm going to listen to the Dalai Lama? How I'm going to listen to Oprah? How I'm going to listen to Tony? How I'm going to do You can't listen to all them people? So if God says, hey, this is who I want you to listen to. My wife will tell you right now she listened to a guy named uh, Grant Cardone. She said, hey, I want you to listen to Grant Cardone. Okay, I'll listen to it. He started saying stuff. I said, yo, mm-mm, that ain't me. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It's just not what I'm listening to right now. And what he's saying is kind of contrary for what I'm working on. I don't have space in my life to start getting confused. It don't discount Greg Cardone. It don't discount anybody else. It just means I've become mature enough to, to be able to listen to a singular voice at this time in my life. Because if God is smart enough to tell her to listen to Grant Cardone, then he's smart enough to tell me when it's time for me to listen to Grant Cardone. So we just got to, and and watch this, you ain't got to shade people because they don't listen to who you listen to. You ain't got to be making little slick digs and stuff because some people got strong clapback games. But you ain't got to be, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody ain't saved the same. So, but, but just because somebody ain't doing it your way don't mean they doing it wrong. And so we, we, we got to get, get beyond this thing of doing these dead works, amen? And so if we believe right, then we'll do right. This is where we find this so illustrated in Galatians 3, 9 through 14. And it's so, it's so apropos because that first song that y'all sung, hey, that first song they sung today, uh, can you put up, I think it may be the second or third verse. You know I ain't good with songs. You clicking, I tell you, though. Uh, it's, it's the first song they sung. Uh, I think it's like the uh, uh, Keep Going. I think it's maybe it's, a, it's, the, it's the word. It's Where'er You Go. It's that one. There it is. There it is. I, I can't sing, but I knew, I knew the melody. It says, now watch it, it says, wherever you go, it says, wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you touch, it's anointed to grow. You are the seed. 
by faith receive. Receive what? That you are the seed. He says, receive it by faith. He says, because the same way that Abraham became the father of many is the same way you become the owner of your dreams. Absolutely. He literally said to Abraham, I, a barren man, a man who had produced no children, a man who had, and, and I don't care what you say, he'd been trying. <laughs> he, he had some practice sessions. But it did not produce. God takes somebody who has been buried and not producing and says to them, I'm going to make you the father of many. The Bible says he called him out in the desert and he said to him, you see this sand? He said, if you could number every granule, that's how many seeds and sons you're going to have. The only way Abraham could take a hold of that was by just choosing to believe it. He had no physical evidence whatsoever. I mean, we, didn't, we don't even read that Sarah got pregnant and had a miscarriage. Because at least then Abraham would know, hey, I can do it. He had no physical evidence that he could produce anything. But God gives him a word, and, and God didn't say, you see this piece of sand? I'm going to give you two of them. He says, I'm going to make you the father of so many. It's going to be, you're going to be able to number them. And do you know that in the Christian faith, we're not the only ones who claim Abraham? Muslims claim Abraham. They all claim him as the father of their faith. So whether you're Christian or Muslim, when you, we're talking about billions of people, they are claiming Abraham. Why? Because by faith, he received it. It wasn't by his actions. His faith caused him to act. And people sometimes talk about Abraham because his faith made him to act in such a way that we in all of our moral righteousness look at Abraham and say, oh, how could he? How, how could he go into his handmaiden to have a baby? Because he was trying to be about that action. <laughs> I worked on that all week. Y'all didn't laugh like y'all was supposed to. That was my big crescendo. I mean, I wrote that out all week long. Y'all, that was y'all supposed to fall out. Oh, messed up my joke. Abraham was trying to be about that action. He was trying to do, there you go. <laughs> he was trying to produce what he believed God for. And watch this. When you try to do what God has instructed you to do, he never counts it against you. I was, I was watching the football game last night. I'm telling you. When, when you are on the path and you're trying to do it God's way, he doesn't count it against you. I was watching a football game last night. And I fell asleep on it, so I don't even know who won, but I was watching the football game. It was uh, Oregon. It was Oregon and, and Washington State. Who won the game? 
okay, okay. So I was, I, you got late. I was watching the game, and one of the Oregon players made a mistake. And the mistake he made, it was because he was trying to make a play. And the coach called him over there, and it looked like he was reaming him out. But, but they was talking about, but you could, you could see that he wasn't just reaming him out. He was talking to him about it, but then he was patting him on the head. And the commentator was saying that anytime you make a mistake when you are trying to make a play, a coach is never going to get on to you. A coach gets on to you when you are lackluster and lazy and you ain't doing what you're supposed to do. God's the same way. When you're just sitting around and you ain't doing nothing, that's when the coach gets mad at you. Now, because he's a coach, you might make a mistake and God have to coach you up. And the problem with some folks is they ain't never been coached. So when God's talking to you, so when God's talking to you, you feel like he's fussing at you. But really what he's doing, he's encouraging you. So the next time you go out there, you're going to do the same thing so you don't make the same mistake. And we got to learn to take coaching from God. So, so, so that song they were singing was so good because I knew we were going to Galatians where we start. And I always think it's so great when, we, when something like that happens because we don't talk about, I don't know what they're going to sing. But I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 9 through 14 in the message translation. Because this, this, this is all about when we believe right, we will do right. But you got, in order to believe right, you got to fix those soul issues that's, think, that's making you think you got to perform for God. So many kids have to perform for the love of their parents. Wow. And that produces trauma in kids. And if it's not dealt with, you become adults who try to perform to get the same feeling and validation that you got when you was a kid. So then you become to interact with God based on human terms. So now you're trying to interact with God in the way you interact with humans. But God isn't human. And so you're trying to do stuff to get God to love you, but God loved you when you was unlovable. So the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9 through 14, the message. He says, so those now who live by faith, they are blessed along with Abraham. He says, if you live by faith and not based on your performance, you are basically one with Abraham. Just like Abraham is blessed, the blessings on him, he says it's on you. He says, who live by faith. It says, this is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone, somebody say anyone, anyone. who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, he is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. It says, utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of law. So when people talk about being cursed, the only way you get cursed is if you leave grace. Because the curse was always meant for the law. So unless you go back to living under the law, then you cannot be cursed. That word cursed means empowered to fail. That doesn't mean natural consequences don't happen. You go outside and you kick a tree with your bare foot, you're going to hurt your toe. That has nothing to do with law or grace. Those are natural earthly consequences. He's saying, but if you try to perform to move God, you're going to utterly fail every single time. 
Verse 11 says, the obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one could sustain a relationship with God that way. Can you imagine if every relationship you had, the people in the relationship had to be perfect? See, I know what you're thinking. I wouldn't be friends with nobody. No, they wouldn't be friends with you. <laughs> right. It, it ain't them. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. It, ain't it ain't them. It's me. It's me. You're that old breakup line. Y'all know how that go. That old breakup line. It ain't, it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't me, it's you. Somebody say, he said that wrong. No, that's how I said it. <laughs> that's how I said it. Yeah, you know, it ain't me, it's you. The person who lives in right relationship with God, watch this, they do it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. He says Habakkuk had it right when he said the person who believes God is set right by God. And that's the real life. He says rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith. So, I, I'm not. so we spend all this time teaching people the rules of church. Telling them what they can do, what they can't do, when they can do it, how they can do it. We have all these rules and regulations around everything we do in the church. But he says rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith. You know that. Because as soon as you left your parents' house, you did everything you wanted to do. I remember when I got my first apartment on Dunnegy Avenue in Conway. I got the key from the leasing office. I opened that door. I went to my refrigerator. I opened it up. I said, can't nobody tell me to shut it. Because in my house, my grandma used to say, why are you standing there? She actually used to ask, but she would say, did you put something in there? Come on. I say, well, no, ma'am. She said, then why are you standing there with the door open? In her lifetime, they, re- they had a real ice box. She never got beyond. <laughs> the electricity kept it cold no matter what. So for her, don't be standing there. Let my good, thank you. Let my good cold air out. So because I could not let her good cold air out, when I got my place, I let my good cold air all out. And I wasn't done. I then went into my bedroom. And I did not take my shoes off. And I jumped on the bed. Because it was my bed in my house, and I couldn't do it under her rules. And so you and I are the same way. Just because you live in a situation where you have to keep the rule, it doesn't mean you are faithful. Being faithful is what you do when you have freedom. I I used to tell people all the time, and and I I mean this in my heart, you know, and I don't don't have a problem with it. People call me dad. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. I tell people all the time, sonship ain't sonship till it's tested. 
You ain't a real son until you come and you want to do something and I explain to you why you shouldn't do it. Now we get to see where the son-father relationship lies. And so the same thing is true with God. He's father, 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 until they say, don't date her. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see how you switch it? Based on how. So we got to be careful because he says right here, just because you follow the rules doesn't mean you become faithful. He said, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping. If you give your kids rules, you have to give them rules to follow the rules. Because rule keeping only makes more rules. So if the rule is you got to be in by 9 o'clock, and they're not in by 9 o'clock, now you got to give them a rule for what's going to happen if they're not in by 9 o'clock. And if they're not in by 9 o'clock, and you follow that other rule, then you got to have a rule for when that rule is going to end. Rather than teaching them the parameters of why they need to be in by 9 o'clock. Because if you explain to them, and see, I know we old school. I ain't got to explain nothing to no kid. Let, let me parenthetically insert this. If you can't explain to your kid why they have to do something, why you got them doing it? People are like, oh, that's these newfangled kids. Listen, I ain't got no problem with putting hands on kids. That ain't what I'm saying. I ain't got no problem with that. But, but you ought to be able to have a conversation with them. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But some of the reason that some of our kids can't speak when they're on television is because we don't spend time talking to them. Yeah, because we had to do and go down and go, you know what I mean? No. I don't know what you mean. It's why I ask you the question. So we have to spend time talking to our kids. Letting, I tell my kids all the time, you can say anything you want to to me as long as you're respectful when you say it. One of the, he, he had to go to work. One of the best stories, Pastor I Love, is one time we was in Conway and, and uh, Fellowship of Champions had a picnic. And in the picnic, we played kickball. And it was, for whatever reason, that particular time, it was a bunch of us out there. And, and, and the teams got divided really good. And it was a close game. And it was getting ready to end. And I had told Chase that he could kick for me next. But that's when we was losing. When it came my time to kick, we, it was tied. He was little bitty. I wasn't finna lose no game. <laughs> so I said, I'll let you kick next time. He was disappointed. I kicked that ball. <laughs> we came around. We won. We was crushed. Ah! We got to the house. We went to Ravnum House. And after we left Ravnum House, we showered and everything. We drove all the way back up here. When we got home, he must have been 10. Oh, he was salty. <laughs> he said, Dad? I said, yes, son. He said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He started walking. I said, where are you going? He said, I want to talk to you in my room. Uh, okay, that's, that's fine. We go downstairs in his room. I said, what's up? He said, you told me I was going to be able to kick. And you didn't let me kick that last ball. 
I said, well, I'm sorry, but the game was close, and I didn't want to lose. It's my bad. I let you get. He said, no. He said, it's not about the game. He said, you gave me your word. He said, and it hurts my feelings when you give me your word, and then you don't keep it. He said, I would rather you just don't even give me your word. <laughs> we ain't had a picnic since then. Not one. Now, a lot of parents would be like, well, wait a minute, don't, don't, don't talk to me. You know, you don't, you don't want to. I said to him, I said, you know what? You're exactly right. You want, I, I can't fix the past, but I can give you my word that if I give you my word going forward, I won't take it no matter what. He said, okay, I'll give you another chance. <laughs> Listen, when he said he wanted to go to London with Kenosha, I said, yeah, he went. Why? Because it's so important that we understand that we, we, we give our kids a chance to speak and to talk and explain themselves because then when they get to interact with God, they do it because it's, it's, it's one thing to say, well, we don't interact with God like, like he's human. We don't, but we do. So if we, if, we, if, if we know that that's going to happen, at least as parents, we can build a kind of relationship so that our kids feel comfortable going to their father and talking to him. Amen? Come on, what, 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 what did he say? Where, where was I? He says, rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself more and more rule keeping. A fact observed in Scripture. Keep going. It says, the one who does these things, rule keeping, they continue to live by them. It says, but Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life. How? By absorbing it into completely into himself. It says, do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became the curse. He became the curse so we didn't have to live under the curse. He then says, and, it, and at the same time, he dissolved the curse. Now think about, how, think about how good that is, that Christ literally became the curse for us and in doing so dissolved the curse away from us. It says, and now because of that, the air is cleared and we can see that Abraham's blessing is what? Present and what? For who? Non-Jews, that's us, two. We were the Gentiles. He says, we are all able to what? Receive God's life, this, his spirit, in and with us by how? Not performing. By believing. Not performing. Just the way Abraham received it. Take your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor it's, time it's time to stop practicing, stop practicing. And, be and be about that action. About that action. All right, all right, I got to do it again. There you go, all right. We got, we got, we, the things we have to do, we have to make sure that we are doing them and that we are doing them because God instructed us to. We must get our minds off works of the law, which emphasize a demand mentality. I do something, now I get to demand from God. 
We got to get beyond that and move beyond that. Instead, we got to focus on faith in Jesus Christ. Focus on grace, which is a supply mentality. When we begin to focus on grace, we start to see supply. And whenever, now, now, now you know the laws of economics talk about supply and demand, right? If something is in high demand but low supply, the value goes up. But if something is in low demand but high supply, the value goes down. But in kingdom economics, the supply can be high and the demand can be high because God is never in a shortage. So me and Tanya can want the exact same thing, as much of it as we both want. We can both get everything we need and then some, and heaven's still full. Heaven's still full. This type of thinking allows us to receive from God. When we live with this, with this idea that there is no shortage, it's, it becomes easier to receive from God. I believe that's, I believe that's what happens when, when, when we begin to work on our mindset, even where money is concerned. When you stop seeing money as when you stop seeing money as as being limited, it opens you up to the abundance of money that can come. I, I used to say this all the time, and it's still true. There are more one hundred dollar bills in circulation than there are one dollar bills. But if you see more one dollar bills, then you see hundred dollar bills. It may be because imprint on your financial blueprint is more one dollar bills than hundred dollar bills. But you can change what you focus on even though you ain't got it in your pocket. Because what you focus on will produce what comes in your pocket. We are now part of a covenant of promise. And Jesus is that promise for us. And because Jesus is that promise for us, we don't have to work for it. We just have to receive it. There are several scriptures. I won't go through all of them. I'll just list them for you that you can read that shows this. Deuteronomy 28 and 6. It does say, blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. So if you believe you receive that, you just receive it. Yeah. And then Deuteronomy 28 and 13, it basically says, and the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and not beneath. If you believe that, then you can begin to live that. Amen? Deuteronomy 28 and 13. And then we see in Galatians 3 and 6, it says, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I keep going back to Abraham because I'm studying Abraham right now, and I'm like, Abraham didn't do anything. When I say he didn't do anything, he didn't, he didn't, he actually disobeyed God several times, but still received a blessing because even in his disobedience, he was doing it because he believed God. God told Abraham, he said, get up. Leave this place and go to a place where I'm going to show you. The Bible says he got up and he went with his father-in-law and they got to a place and his father-in-law stayed there. Now, that ain't where God showed him. But Abraham stayed there till his father-in-law died. And he said, all right, you ready to go to a place I'm going to show you? He said, yep. And they went on to the place where we're going to show him. And it says and in that place, Abraham became blessed. You have to ask yourself, why am I stopping? Who's stopping me? Why am I stopping? Why am I not just believing? What am I working for? Because when they were in harem, he just kept working. He kept working, but the Bible says he didn't become rich till he went to the place where God showed him. So you can be someplace, and you can be prospering to a degree, but is it the place where God showed you? It's that old, it's, it's that old adage, the enemy the great is what? Good. The enemy the great is good. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, hey, you're really losing weight. You're going to have you a cheat day? How can you cheat when you ain't reached the goal? Amen. 
Because who are you? Because who are you cheating? Because a cheat they didn't produce you closer to the goal. And so you can't be like, "Woo! I read my Bible five days. I'm gonna have a cheat day and watch me some porn." I figure that wake y'all up. <laughs> but that, that, that doesn't make any sense. When you are in a groove and you are working on something, why do something that disrupts what you're working on? So if reading my Bible, making my confessions, all that is working for me, why am I going to have a cheat day and decide, oh, I just, it's so sunny outside, I'm going to skip today? Oh, that's not what we do. The Bible says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, then it was his. See, the problem with the law is that the law curses us if we fail to keep any part of it. The Bible says in James 2 and 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend any one part of it, he is guilty of them all. God has made so many promises to us, but unless we understand the difference between works of the law and works of faith, we will never be able to receive those promises. There, are, there is work that you must do, but it must be a work of faith. It must be the thing that God has instructed you to do. I don't know why we think that somehow talking to God bothers him. It doesn't. He's not us. He's not us. He'll listen to you whenever you want to talk to him. You can ask him as many questions as you want to. God doesn't see it as disrespectful. In fact, the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, in James, he says, let him ask. He says, and God will give it to him unabraided. He will give it to him liberally. In other words, God will give you more information than you ever thought you needed to know. But you just got to ask. The Bible says, it tells us that in light of the finished works of Jesus, it is useless to try to get God to do what he's already done. Why are we trying to get God to do what he's already done? We used the illustration before. If you bought somebody a gift, and every time you saw them, they ask you about the gift that you had already bought them. You would either become frustrated with them or you'd never buy them another gift. If you bought me a tie and every time I said, oh, man, I sure wish you'd buy me that tie you bought me. You're like, what? It doesn't make sense. We're asking God for stuff he's already made available. He wants us to get in Thanksgiving mode. He says, I've already given you all things, watch this, that pertain to what? Life and godliness. He's already done it. So if we want to be righteous in God's sight, we have to put aside this self-effort. We get to heaven not by our own efforts. When I say heaven, I don't mean some sweet by and by. We, we invite heaven into our life by believing now. Not by performance. The way you and I got saved was because we just believed. It's the same way we receive every other promise. Our righteousness is not the result of our actions. I'm going to say that over and over again. I'm sure when Ralph teaches the next couple of weeks, that'll be part of his theme. But I'm telling you, our righteousness is not the result of our actions. It occurs by our faith in what Jesus has already done. Faith and rule keeping are not the same thing. I'll say that again. Faith and rule keeping are not the same thing. If we choose rule keeping, then we are required to keep all the rules. But remember, we just read James 2 and 10. It says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend any one part is guilty of them all. 
Notice Paul did not say that we are cursed because we break the law. Paul says we are cursed if we choose to live by it. I think that's interesting because in our American system, if you break the law, you're guilty. And then you have to go to court to get adjudicated. In the kingdom of God, Jesus went to court one time and adjudicated us for every offense. See, in, 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 in this world, if you get a ticket, you either got to pay for it or you got to go to court. And then based on what the court says is what's going to happen next. And if the court says you got to pay it and you don't pay it, then they issue a warrant for your arrest. They issue a warrant for your arrest and you get stopped again or they come pick you up. Now you're going to go to jail. You got all these other things. Jesus was like, forget all that. I'm guilty. I did it. They all free. Judge said, done. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but just like that. So when the devil tries to present in court any evidence against us, the judge is like, I see nothing here. I, I don't see anything. What's the charges? The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So literally in the kingdom, he is presenting to God all your mess ups. He goes through this big long list. In between the time he takes, he says, I like to present it to evidence, evidence A. Fornication. They take the evidence, they put it on the screen, they get ready to play it, and nothing plays. Folks are like, whoo! Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Now, what that should do is say to you, I don't want to be in that position no more. It shouldn't be a license to be like, oh, I'm going back to court. The Bible says in Romans 4.14, it says, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith then is made void, and the promise made of none effect. He says, if you are of the law, then faith does not uh, work for you. He says, faith is made void. He says, and the promise, the promise is made of no effect. So how do we make the promise of no effect? By living under the law. By living our life based on this performance-based effort. The Bible says in Romans 4, 13 through 15, I love this in the message translation. It says, that famous promise that God gave Abraham, that one we just talked about, it says that he and his children would possess the earth. It was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. Notice that. He said God put everything together for Abraham, and because Abraham believed it, it became his. I want you to stop for just a second, and I want you real quickly to just think about all the promises God has made you. I want you to think about a singular dream that you have that you know came from God. I want you to think about how in order for it to work, all of these pieces have to come together. I then want you to know that God has already put them together. And now I don't want you to think about all you got to do to put them together. I just want you to think about how good it is that you get to receive it like a gift at Christmas. 
Because the Bible says that's what happened with Abraham. He had a famous promise that God made him, and then Abraham didn't have to work for it. It was just based on God's decision to put everything together for him. It says, which Abraham then entered when he believed. I think it's one more verse, maybe. It says, if those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, then that eliminates personal trust completely, and it turns the promise into an ironclad contract. There is a big difference between a promise and a contract. Let me help you. A promise says, I'll love you through sickness and health to death do us part. A contract says, I will love you in sickness and health to death do us part until I can sign these divorce papers. Because a, a marriage, a civil union, is a contract. Why is it a contract? Because contracts can be voided. A promise cannot. Let me help you. If Rich says to me, Strick, I promise I'm going to come pick you up at 6. I say, bet, dog. He come? He, he, let's say he never shows up. Did he void the promise? No. Now, he didn't fulfill it, but the promise is still there. Because you cannot void a promise. It's why the Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not keep it. But a contract always has clauses to get out of. It's why if you go to court, the court will say this. The, you sell real estate. So the court says this. If he and I enter into an agreement and he writes the contract and we have a disagreement and we go to court, the contract is always favored in the one who did not write it. Because it's assumed that if he wrote it, he also wrote a way out of it. So God doesn't make a contract with us because it would assume that he could get a way out of it. So in saying, what he does is he makes a promise. And then he swears by the promise. He says, I looked around and I couldn't find anybody that I could swear by. I looked in heaven and there was nothing. I looked in the earth and there was nothing. There was no man or woman that I could swear by. So I looked to myself. And I swear to myself. He said, I swear to God that I'll bless you. And the only way I won't bless you is I have to cease from being God. That is what a promise looks like. So when God makes you a promise... The only way the promise gets voided is that he stops being God. He says, but if you try to live by the law, he says, then you're going to go away from personal trust. You're going to turn a promise that was written in your favor. That's always construed in the favor of the one who didn't write it. You're going to take that and you're going to turn it into an ironclad contract that you can't get out of. 
He said, that is not a holy promise. That is a business deal. What father makes a business deal with his kids? I'm going to end with this. When Taylor first got her checking account, I said to her, I said, you need to be careful and you need to be checking your account before you just out here swiping that card. I said to her, because if you got $2 in your account and you buy something that's $2.01, they're going to let it go through, but they're going to charge you $18 for that one penny. Yes, sir, Daddy. Yes, sir, Daddy. Tay, you need to download the app on your phone so you ain't got to be trying to keep a total in your head while you're out here swiping that card. Because if you got $2 in your account and you spend something for $2.01, they're going to take $18 out of your account for that one cent. We must have had this conversation 50 times. Arvest sends these little white envelopes to your house. Got this big. It's them irritating kind. You got a tit of perforated edges. And... Some of y'all don't got them cards. Say, no, 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 my friend got some. Okay, okay, your friend got them. And I said to her, I said, Taylor, we need to have a conversation. Because you're, you're clearly, you know, she didn't have checks. I said, you're clearly bouncing, you know, making your account go negative. Uh-uh, Daddy. They don't just send these for play play. So she came over. You must have had 12 of them. That was my feeling exactly. Now, if you know how a bank account works, you know that if you negative $328.13, did even if you put a check in there for two hundred dollars, you still ain't got no money. Yeah. Well, Daddy, I got paid. So did the bank. So did the bank pay. Did this month, the first time I paid it, of course I did. Second time, I paid it. The third time, I did not. The third time. I moved out of father mode and I moved into business mode. And one Sunday after we had service at the Holiday Inn, I pulled her into that boardroom and I pulled her mother in there with me. And I said to her, I love you, but I tried to be nice and explain all this to you and either you slow or... <laughs> because when you're a businessman, I ain't talking to you like you're my kid. Because we have moved beyond that. I said, either you slow or you don't care. Either one of those is not good for me. I said, so here's what we're going to do. I have drawn up a contract. My wife looked across the table at me. It was a two-page contract. And in that two-page contract, it outlined all of my expectations and all of hers. And it laid out in the second paragraph on the second page that if she failed to meet any part of that contract, I would repossess her car, 
I would charge her rent. And everything she had in savings, I would confiscate until I was paid in full. She looked across that table at me, eyes wide. She said, Diddy, are you serious? I said, I've already signed the bottom of mine. I said, now you don't have to sign your part, but if you don't sign your part, you are void of this contract, and I'm going to need them keys. And however you get home from this holiday inn, it's totally up to you. I said, okay, Daddy. She signed that contract. And for six months, every Friday, I made her come to my house and go over everything she had spent that week. And after six months, I put her on probation for six more months. And do you know she has not bounced? She, she hadn't had a, a, a negative debit in her account since then? Now, did I want to do that? Uh-uh. But she turned from a promise into a contract. And what you don't want to do is turn God's promise into a business arrangement. Because if you fail to keep any part of that contract, it becomes null and void. And all them promises, they get repossessed. Not because he wants to, but because you turned it into something it was never intended to be. So going forward, I don't know what else God has in store for us for these next 60 days, these next two months, these next eight Sundays, seven, one week you'll have, these next seven Sundays. But during the course of the week, I'm telling you, you ought to be digging into this thing. You ought to be asking yourself, okay, God. Because I say it again, this ain't about wilding out. Pastor Sean gave me a great example. She said, when you were teaching last week, she said, I thought about this. She says, when I say I trust you, she said, when I, when, I, when I say to you, I don't go through your phone and your emails and I ain't looking to see how, she said, I trust you. She said, when someone says they trust you, it's not a license to wild out. It's not like, ooh, she trusts me. Dude, I can get away with it. That's the, we shouldn't do God that way. When God says, look, I got you. I got you. Listen, I don't care how you mess up. I got you. There ain't your opportunity to now to see how much you can mess up. And if that becomes your mentality, no wonder you're not prospering. So God gives us his liberty. He gives us his freedom. And in this liberty and in this freedom, literally what he does is he allows us to live life free. So I'll... So, so I said to y'all last week, I am who I am. I figure if I'm too much, God will tell me. If I say too much, he'll tell me. Sometimes Sean do it first, but, he, but he'll tell But I, I find out. I find out one way or the other. He put good people in your life to help keep you on the right path. And so what it does is it, it frees me. Because now I'm not like, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta live like this. I got to live like this. No, I can live out of the box and live free for God. And when you do that, I'm telling you, the world just opens up. Amen? Amen. So that's what I want to tell you on this week. We're going to embrace grace, and we're going to leave the law behind. We're going to take that prophecy that God gave us on June 23rd when he says, I'm healing your soul and I'm healing your body, and we're going to receive it. When he says, I'm opening up your eyes, we're going to receive it. Amen? 
when he says it's already been recorded in heaven, we believe we receive. We are the seed, and by faith we receive it. Amen?